This is Perspectives, the show where an examination of our many differences often shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condis Presley, and when we think about the family, especially in today's times, we often think about the mom as the leader, as the person who is driving many of the decisions. Today, our focus is on the black family and on African-American fathers. Our guest is Kenneth Braswell. He is the leader of an organization here in Atlanta called Fathers Incorporated. You guys do a lot of great work in the community, helping men be that strong head of household. Ken has more than 29 years of community development experience. He's the CEO. It's a not-for-profit that serves as a leader in the promotion of responsible fatherhood. And Kenneth Braswell, what do we mean by responsible fatherhood? Well, first, Kansas, thank you so much for having me on Perspectives. I just think that This is a great opportunity to continue to talk about the importance of this work as it relates to family. But when we talk about responsible fatherhood, we often snatch out the word father because there's all kinds of definitions with respect to father. We think about the term father in very different ways, depending on our own personal connection with our own fathers, the fathers of our children. But when you talk about fatherhood, what you're defining then is the act of being a father. And then what you want to come out of that is a responsible act of being a father, irregardless of what your marital status may be, what your resident status may be, what your ethnic status may be, what your socioeconomic status may be. What we want in our families is for parents, and in this case, fathers, to be responsible. And there are certain things that we do um, outside of just being protectors and providers of our children and our families and being responsible. There's this whole notion of, as a man, how are you responsible for the things that you are responsible for? How did you become involved in this work? Ooh, how did I become responsible? (laughs) Which is the better question. Right. But I came into this work like many people come into social work. Um, You come into the space that's personal to you. Um, People who are homeless do homeless work. More likely people who are in substance abuse work want to work with folks who are struggling with substance abuse. Um, My challenge, you know, some 15 years um, ago um, was a challenge of being able to spend more time with my youngest daughter. And her mother and I, you know, struggling with figuring out how to be co-parents of our one-and-a-half-year-old daughter. And for the first time, I found myself in a courtroom being challenged with custody because we didn't go to court for child support. It was custody that we were dealing with. And I was sitting in that courtroom, and I was just watching the atmosphere. And our daughter was there that day because she had to go through this little test a questionnaire that she had to do, which I thought was not right for a one-year-old child to have to kind of ask, answer questions about her mommy and daddy. But what I noticed that day is her mom and I were sitting on two different sides of the room, and she kept running back and forth. Like, she didn't stay in one. She just kept running back and forth between us. And my brain was, she doesn't understand, like, why her daddy is sitting on one side of the room and while her mommy is sitting on the other side of the room. And so when we came out of um, the court that day, um, her mother and I stopped downstairs because we never spoke inside the courtroom for some odd reason. But when we would come outside, we would just, because we weren't that kind of couple. We weren't at each other's throats. We were intelligent. We knew what we needed to do. We just, from a per- from a relationship standpoint, just wasn't adding up. And she turned to me and she said, 
this is not how we should raise our child. Government should not be in the middle of how we raise our child. We're two intelligent individuals. We can figure out how to raise our child without being in this space. So what was important for me that day is that we both came to the same epiphany about being parents, that um, it was both our responsibilities to raise our child and to raise her the way we saw fit to raise her. But afterwards, I began to start thinking about the atmosphere and wanted to do something for men who I saw struggling in that room and really begin to start helping them and understanding how to be true co-parents and to help them with the things that they needed support with, finding jobs, um, communication, and those kinds of pieces so that they can come out and have the best outcomes they could possibly have for the children and their families. How would you describe the work that Fathers Incorporate does? So our work currently is across several different spaces. And so here in Atlanta, we are now beginning to engage more deeply um, indirect service because those services for fathers um, in Metro Atlanta are um, far and few in between. And so fathers who are struggling with finding um, adequate employment, um, great housing, uh, understanding and learning parenting skills, communication skills, those who are dealing with substance abuse issues, and how do you serve them so that you connect them with services in Atlanta so that they can build themselves so that they can be better fathers to their children. In addition to that, we're also partnering with other agencies so that we can kind of figure out how to dive deeper into this work around family. Who are the clients that you serve? Oh, right now our clients, you know, this is Atlanta. I'm from New York, first of all, and Atlanta is a very different space for me. But I just In what I way? can't even tell you how much I love Atlanta for what it provides for me. And I'll tell you why. So when I was in New York and I was working with families, I used to always have to describe who I was working for. So in an application, I would always say, I'm going to be working with African-American dads and they represent 16 percent. And I had to talk about all this stuff. Cool thing about Atlanta is because of the demographics and the spaces we're in, I don't ever have to say I'm working for African-American fathers because that's who we catch in our net. And it's 99 percent. That's what they look like. And so it has given me a very comfortable space to be able to uh, work with fathers through my own background and how I've seen my own friends and people I grew up with and understanding the totality of what they're dealing with. And so many of our fathers, first of all, we know that 97% of all fathers say that when their child was born was the best day of their lives. And so fathers want to be involved. The question is not if they want to be involved. The question is how do we support them to be involved? The other thing that we work very hard at in terms of our clients is this notion of fatherlessness or fatherless, right? So there is no such thing as fatherless. Every child has a father. The question is not if he exists. The question is where he exists. And the only way that you find out where he exists is if you ask the question, where is he? And that's primarily what we do. We ask the question, where is he? Because if you let me know where he is, we can find him and we can help him be what we know he wants to be. And so our fathers are across the spectrum, everything from 16 to season. I won't put a date on season, right? Because they're all dealing with some level of issue around support. And even with dads who are well-to-do, who are, you know, doing very well in their professions, are still struggling, you know, with being fathers. 
this whole notion right now around LeBron James being an exuberant father on the court and celebrating his son and everybody's saying LeBron should just sit down and not be on the court celebrating his child. Who says so? He is supposed to jump up and get crazy when his son does something spectacular on the court. My son plays AAU ball, and when he does something, I jump up. And so if I can jump up, LeBron can jump up. So when you think about fatherhood, fatherhood is more about presence. It's about just being there however you can be there, and then our agency being the agency that will help you with the things that you will find in your life as obstacles and struggles to being able to be the best father you want to be. But being present in a child's life is at the paramount space for us, for our dads. What are some of the programs that you offer the fathers who are your clients? So right now we have some wonderful programs. We have some wonderful partners that allow us to do some wonderful programming. We have a partnership with the University for Parents to which we provide classes. Um, um, in on the west side, on the on, yeah, on the west side, and so we provide life skill classes and fatherhood classes and financial foundation classes and leadership classes, because if you can educate them and help them understand what they're lacking and what they're dealing with, you can serve them. And so many of these dads that we come across each and every day just need a space to talk. Because if you can get them to talk and to reveal, you can find out what their issues are. And so when they come into those spaces for us, then we can connect them and we can refer them to employment services and any other kind of services that they need. We also now have a literacy project that we're running throughout Atlanta called Real Dads Read, where we have 83 libraries and barbershops in low-income schools vis-a-vis little free libraries around metro Atlanta to increase the understanding that fathers should be engaged in the academic lives of their children and that schools should recognize the importance of dads. So don't just let dads come in the morning and drop their kids off. Engage them when they get there. Say good morning. Right. Let them know that you're appreciative of bringing their children to school and then give them a project because that's who we are as men. Right. We need a project. I need to turn a light, move a chair, build a wall, what you need me to do. But I'm not going to do it until you ask me. So when fathers come to the school, give them opportunities to mentor, to coach, to be hall monitors, to be school guard. I mean, school, uh, school crossing guards. Right. Give them a project. Give them something to do. And so the Real Dads Read program is designed to get fathers into the school, but the school then has to take the ownership of engaging them when they get into the school, which then leads me to the last thing, which is our Million Fathers March that takes place September 27th. And so the Million Fathers March is a national effort that we've been engaged in now for years, but here in Atlanta for the last three years where we're encouraging dads to take their children to school on the first day of school. But in this instance, the 27th is the day. And so last year, we were able to move this campaign throughout 91 91 cities throughout the country. Um, This year, we are already up to 44 cities, and we're only halfway into the campaign. But each year, um, the Atlanta public school system is involved. The Clayton County school system is involved. So we have great and wonderful optics of schools engaging fathers. And as a result of that, we have great relationships with those school districts where I've gone and I've trained their preschool teachers on fatherhood engagement. And I've gone with NBCDI Atlanta and reached out and, and, and actually trained their folks in fatherhood engagement and how do you engage fathers in the work that you're doing. So um, we're doing that and so much more. I don't. In your interactions with the 
fathers that you're working with? Do any common themes emerge? Perhaps sometimes the reason they're not the greatest dads is because they didn't have the greatest dad. Mm -hmm. And how do you reverse that? I think the biggest theme that I see with many other dads that we work with is self-esteem, worthiness. Like, am I worthy to be a great father? And sometimes that lack of understanding their worth is because they have not had a father in their life because they don't then they don't have an act they don't have a sense of what it is to be worthy like how can I be worthy for my child because I've never had an example of being worthy in my child and ironically sometimes we undercompensate where we just bail out and sometimes we overcompensate as in, you know, I'm not saying that LeBron jumping off the chair was overcompensating, but sometimes we we want to buy him everything and we want to take him everywhere and we want to do all the things that our fathers didn't do for us. And sometimes you can overcompensate in a way that you're giving things that at the end of the, of the day is not important to your child because all they want is your presence. Like my son, I remember asking him what was the best part of him being my son and I thought he was going to talk about when we flew to LA to take him to the premiere of Despicable 2 or something that I've done on larger scales and this thing was about this time that him and I made a play paper airplane together cost me nothing but ripping out a piece of paper out of a book and showing him how to make a paper airplane. Ironically, he wanted to take it to school so he could throw it in a class, but I didn't know that was going to be the outcome. But, you know, I engaged in the activity because that's what he wanted to do. But that's what he remembered. And it was an epiphany point for me because it said the small moments matter, right? Don't miss a minute because you might miss a moment. And so slow yourself down. That's my advice to fathers when I talk to them. Slow down. Life is not that fast when you're dealing with your children and they don't remember the overt things that you try to do with them. They remember conversations. They remember moments. They remember times. They don't remember things. And so if you put your value in time, things won't matter. Talk to us about the impact the criminal justice system has had on the work that you guys are able to do with fathers who have either been in the system and then go through reentry or for fathers who didn't have access to their dads because they were in the system. You know, the criminal justice system adds a complex element on top of this work as it relates to fatherhood um, because there's so many different places that it shows up, right? And so one of the places that it shows up for us is in the fact that um, 80% of all people who are incarcerated are fathers. And so the question is, how do you connect fathers who are on the inside to their children on the outside? And how do you build their self-esteem enough to understand that they can still have an impact on their children? Um, and what we've learned is that impact is just keeping them connected. You got to keep writing. You got to keep calling, even if they don't write back, even if they don't call back. Because while you're away, the only thing that is important to that child is, is he thinking about me? Right. And if you give no indication that you're thinking about them, they have no reason to believe that you were when you're away. And so and then when they come out on the other side, the services that they need um, are so 
difficult to supply for them because of the holes that they put themselves in. And so you got the criminal background. You got the fact that you didn't graduate from high school. You got child support arrears. You got punitive measures that you have to pay for. You don't have anywhere to go to live. You have dysfunctional and broken relationships that you have to repair. You have trust that you have to rebuild. And you're coming back from this situation, and now you have to, everybody wants you to function today. Like you got out an hour ago, you need to be a man right now. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You got to first assess where he came from, where he is, why he got to where he was, where he is now, and how do you build him up progressively to get to where you want him to be. And I think that a lot of the programs out there today don't take into consideration that rebuilding a man or a woman for that perspective is a process. It's not an act. It's a process. And we got to be more patient with this particular cohort of dads because they're also becoming younger and younger and younger. Um, this program that I just spoke about a few minutes ago that we're doing with the Urban League is for fathers who are 16 to 24 years old with adjudicated cases. You're talking 16 years old, and, they, and I got to work with them on how to be a parent when they haven't even understood how to be an adult yet. <laughs> Right, and they gotta be an adult, but I still gotta work with them. I still gotta get them there. That's so gotta be hard. It's 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 extremely hard because they still want to be kids, and they had to be an adult while they were in this situation, and they're trying to understand the difference between them wanting to be a kid and having to be an adult. And we don't have any um, patience with allowing them to get there, you know. And I think that the um, second major impact of incarcerated dads is on moms right and so while dad is locked up mom is trying to figure it out and sometimes she does and sometimes she does it right and then he comes out and he wants to fix it all and she's like oh whoa like I've been handling this what kind of impact are you guys able to have so the impact that we work for every day is in changing behavior Right. And so change in behavior means that if you come to a fatherhood class, that I can look at both outputs and outcomes. Like outputs are how many people show up to my class and outputs are how many people ended and graduated from my class. Outcomes are how many people came to my class, how well did they understand the subject matter, and then how much of that information did they use to impact the lives of their children, right? And so I'm one of those people that when we talk about outcomes, impacts, and outputs that believe that true outcome can only be told from the child's perspective, right? And so when I look at my own child, I say to myself, at 7 o'clock in the morning on a school day when he is still asleep, and doesn't want to get up, and I come into his room, and I make him get up, I ask him on a scale from 1 to 10, am I an asset or a liability? And his response is going to be, at that moment, I am a liability to him. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon, when I pick him up from school, and I have his Chick-fil-A in the back of the car and his lemonade that he wants every day, and you ask him at that moment, is your dad on a scale of 1 to 10 an asset or a liability? He says, he's an asset. But when he gets home and I tell him he has to do his homework and can't play his Xbox, I'm a liability. 
And so the question is, you can't always be a full asset or a full liability. A perfect parent is about balance. It's about not trying to be what others want you to be in the lives of your child, but being what you need to be in your child. And so um, because children for me is always the gauge on whether or not a parent is doing the best things, our outcomes are always around child outcomes. And so for Real Dads Read, I can engage all the fathers I want in this program. But the real outcome for me is how many more children are now engaged in reading more hours than they were prior to fathers getting engaged, right, for our Million Father March program. As a result of us driving fathers into the school, how many parents are now joining the PTA that's impacting the outcome of children because there's now an impact by men who are now involved in the educational process? So our outcomes are always child-driven because if I'm working with fathers and I'm not touching children, then I'm not doing a good job at working with fathers. What kind of support does your organization need? How can our listeners get involved with the work that you're doing? So I'm a CEO of a not-for-profit organization. The first way you can support me is always donations. And so www.fathersincorporated.com gives you the ability to do that. Um, The second thing is this year we celebrate 15 years of service, and our gala takes place October 22nd on my birthday at Friendship Baptist Church. Um, It is our 15th um, um, anniversary gala. And we are looking for folks to come out and help celebrate our work of the last 15 years. But the uh, primary function of that gala is to really begin to start talking about our movement forward and what are we doing moving forward. And we really want to talk to as many people as possible at that day to talk about where we're going in this work and how they can support us moving forward. Obviously, we have a number of programs to which you can volunteer um, you can call our office at 770-809-9800. So that number again is 770-804-9800. Um, or you can Google us. So you Google Fathers Incorporated, we pop up all over the place. And so, um, and our social media platforms. And so we want people to kind of really understand the essence of our work. You know, that we are here to build stronger families one father at a time. Um, If I can speak to a room full of 300 fathers, if one of them gets it, I've changed the trajectory of the outcomes for a child that he is associated with. And our fathers can't be disposable. Um, They are worthy. um, They are valuable. And every piece of research speaks to a dad's value. Either he's present or not, there's a profound impact on our children and our society when men are not engaged in a healthy way. And we're trying to combat all the ills that our community is going through by ensuring that if only from our perspective, if we can build stronger fathers, we can build a stronger community. And indeed build a stronger family. Absolutely. Kenneth Braswell is the chief executive officer of Fathers Incorporated. Again, that website, fathersincorporated.com, a nonprofit leader in our community in the promotion of responsible fatherhood. And uh, very excited about your Real Dads Read program. And you've written several children's books, right? I have one that just came out, um, Daddy Can I Cry? And so we're excited about that. They're all social, emotional books that we write um, to encourage conversations in these really hard conversational areas with our children. 
And so this particular one that we just released is around helping our children understand how to process grief and helping our little boys understand appropriate expressions of emotions through grief or things that uh, will cause them to cry and whether or not that crying equals healthy masculinity in the way that society points at them that masculinity should be. Those are the conversations we should have. So all of our books are pointed in those spaces and they also can be obtained by going to our website. That's fathersincorporated.com. Kenneth Braswell, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program crafted with you in mind. If there's a guest you'd like to hear interviewed or a perspective you think should be explored, let me know. If you're old school, just write me. 1601 West Peachtree Street, Northeast, Atlanta, Georgia, 30309. Or message me via social media. I'm Condis Presley on Facebook, Condo29 on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Be sure to listen again next week at this very same time as we examine another perspective. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.